Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Kelly, and welcome to the Millennial Minimalists. We are two Canadian millennials and minimalists on a mission to live more with less. And together, our goal is to inspire you to design a simpler, more intentional life. Hi, everyone. It's me, Kelly, and Lauren here today, and we are answering your questions about the minimalist lifestyle. This month on our Instagram page, at Millennial Minimalist, we asked you to submit your questions and we received some really helpful ones and we'll be answering all of them today. So if you submitted it, you will hear back from us today in this conversation. And thank you so much to all of you who submitted. That was so, it was so incredible. We received so many questions and a lot of duplicates. So we don't worry, we will get to all of your questions. I am so excited for this one, Lauren. Yeah, thanks so much for asking them. And it's so nice to hear the areas that people are interested in with minimalism and that they're struggling in or or they want more feedback on. So it it gives us a lot of insight as to what you guys are curious about when it comes to minimalism. Yeah. And, you know, I I had a lot of fun reading through our listeners' questions. Like, and I'm, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. Lauren, because, and we should tell our audience, we haven't shared our responses with each other. So this is definitely going to be an exploratory conversation. And we're, we're really giving advice based on our own experiences. So we're hoping you can take a lot away from everything today. But before we start, I thought I would start off by talking about what minimalism is for all of our new listeners who are here, because we've gained quite a few new listeners over the past month. So I want to start by talking about what is the definition of minimalism to us and what it means to live a minimalist lifestyle. So I'd like to start by saying minimalism is a lifestyle template. That is what Lauren and I like to say. We see it as by removing and managing the excess in your life, whether that be the physical things, the mental, emotional, digital, or spiritual, you're left with a clean slate. And so it's like, wow, okay, this is my template. Now I can just start building the life that I want for myself you know, and you don't feel cluttered anymore. And one of the misconceptions that people have is they think that, you know, you need to follow a certain rule book and you need to own a certain number of things. And that's not the case. It's, it's about building a simpler, more intentional life for you. And if you listen to The Minimalist, you've definitely heard them talk about this as well. It's about owning and using what you need and, and, and keeping the things that you also love and creating space for what's most important to you. Ultimately, it's about building a more meaningful life. And you start to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And it, it just naturally becomes a part of your everyday. And most importantly, a minimalist lifestyle is an ongoing journey. You don't just wake up as a minimalist and you're done. (laughs) It takes maintenance and self-discipline to keep on track every single day. So for example, when it comes to the physical things we own, it takes work to keep on top of what comes into our lives. And while this lifestyle teaches us that we can take control over the things that come into our lives and only keep the things that we need and we use and we love, sometimes physical things come into our lives that we may not want, need, or use. And that leads us into our first question today, which is a very common one that we get. And it's, how do you set boundaries with family and friends about gift giving? How can we best communicate that we don't want anything? Or what should we do with gifts we don't want or use? But for the first part of this conversation, I, I, I'd, like, I'd love for you to start, Lauren. How can we set boundaries with family and friends about gift giving? Okay, 
Oh, right. When I read this, if I had my own way in life, I would never exchange gifts again. (laughs) I, I don't like the idea of it. It doesn't bring any value to my life. I enjoy spending holidays with my friends, going out for dinner, just seeing them. I I think this has just blown way out of proportion. And a lot of times people spend so much money on gifts for other people. And the likelihood that those people are all using what you purchase them might not be as high. And what you receive back, you might not use or need the stuff. And it it just ends up in your closet as junk. So from the logical perspective, it would make sense to just save that money and buy things or do nice things for yourself on holidays. But I understand this is still a huge part of our culture and how we celebrate and show love and marketing. It's still very relevant today in our lives. So essentially all we can do at this point is manage it. When it comes to Christmas and holidays, obviously there's games like Secret Santa. So you only have to buy one person a gift as opposed to a number of people. But when it comes to birthdays and anniversaries and even Valentine's Day, it's like, what do you do? Like they're just these holidays never end. And at the end of the day, I, I think it's just communication. You could go to the person. I, like, I'm curious to get your opinion on this, Kelly, but I find it awkward around holidays to be like, hey, Christmas is coming up. This is what I want. Here's photos of what I want. Like, I, I just find that awkward. <laughs> You know, it it used to be, we were talking about this yesterday, you know, gifts were surprises and they were things that, you know, my grandma would make a scarf for me and it was something that was made. She put time into, and it was a little bit of a, it was a thoughtful gift, right? It wasn't, Hey, these are what, these are the items that I bookmarked on my computer and this is what I want mom or dad, you know? (laughs) It's like very obligatory these days. But, um, I, I mean, obviously my best advice is to just talk to the person be like, Hey, like let's grab a hot chocolate and go ice skating. It's your birthday. Like let's grab a drink or grab dinner. Like you don't necessarily have to do gift exchange or do an experience together. That's the biggest thing we recommend. Yeah. That's great advice. Book a trip together. Like yeah, cook dinner together. Like there's so many other things you can do that you don't have to exchange physical items. Yeah. But again, it goes back to communication. Be honest with others. I've learned that. Just be honest. Let them know that you don't need anything and explain that you're choosing to live with less and be more intentional about the things that you're bringing into your life. And if the gift giver really wants to give you something, again, just like you said, suggest an experience, a dinner, an adventure, go for a walk. Just It's those experiences that are gifts, by the way. Those are the best gifts. You know, you know, my, my birthday's coming up and all I want is a zoom conversation with my closest friends. And yeah, that is what's meaningful to me right now. And I know, I know it's hard to, especially when someone wants to give you something, you can just say, you know, if you really want to give me something, maybe you can give me, you know, uh, suggest little things that you love, you know, and that don't have a shelf life. I, I thought of this. I was like, well, maybe I could tell a friend if a friend really wanted to get me something. I'd be like, oh, well, I'd love it if you could maybe bake cookies or, you know, get me some flowers. Like, I love that stuff. It doesn't have a shelf life. So I know that it won't be in my house forever, <laughs> which is really, really helpful. And yeah, you can suggest things that don't break the bank, like those little things that you get joy out of, like just very small things. And I think your friends would really respect that too. And on the other side, if you've already received the gift, remember that 
the gift is in the act of giving. You do not have, so I like that. Remember that the gift is in the act of giving. So as a gift giver, you have to understand that that is the gift. Like you took the time to give your friend or your family member something. So, and as the receiver, you actually have the right to sell, donate, or recycle the item. And it's something that gift givers and gift receivers should recognize. So I know for Lauren and I, like, I, we, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I got you flowers during your birthday and you kept them. And I was so, so happy. But I knew, <laughs> I knew there was a part of you that was like, oh, I didn't really need it. So, but it was good because it had a shelf life. They were beautiful though. And don't recycle it in front of them. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I've I've gotten gifts in the past and I in my mind I'm like this is gonna sell well online. <laughs> like I can't wait to put it up. I know it's wrong, but I tell people I don't want to exchange gifts. So if we do anyways, then it's likely gonna get sold. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Which goes into our next question. Um, what do we do with gifts we don't want to use? Yeah. So what do we do if we, we, we have gifts that we don't want to use? Exactly. We can, we can donate them. We can sell them. We can recycle them. And yeah, it, it works. It's worked for me. It's worked for you. And yeah, I think that's it for that question. And yeah. the next question is, have you ever banned yourself from shopping? Or do you suggest a no spend challenge for a week or so? I love this question. I love uh, this one because I just did this. So, Oh, okay. Tell me about it. Okay. So I actually did this in January. I didn't do no spend, but I did only essentials month. So I only spent money on transportation, food, toiletries, like dish soap and laundry soap, but I didn't allow myself to get any clothes, any accessories, anything for my kitchen, my home, nothing. It was only essentials. And I saved, I use, like I have my budget uh, that I usually spend around every month. I saved $500 last month from doing this. Wow. Yeah. Which made me really happy. And it really put into perspective how I actually am a little bit impulsive when I buy because I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this in January. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't. I'm doing the no spend month. Good. Yeah. So it showed me that. And it made me realize there's just so little I actually need. Like I was like, oh, I want a new sweater because it's cold. And I feel like I wear the same stuff all the time. And then I'm like, actually, no, I don't need that. Like it's not going to make a difference. So this month... <laughs> I, I finally replaced the stuff I needed to replace. Like I needed to replace leggings that were not in good shape anymore. I needed new socks. Sometimes I, we need new things, Lauren. Yeah. That's okay. But, and that's what it put that into perspective for me. I wasn't just like buying things to buy them or because I wanted them or because I saw them. It was like, okay, I'm going to buy this because I actually need it. And it, it made me more creative. Like I, I even want to get a thermal lunch pail to take my lunch to work in. And I guess if you just like put tinfoil around a container or a towel, it can keep stuff warm. And I just got super creative with things because I was trying this to do this no spend month. But it, it, it does work. And like we've said in the past on other podcasts, make a want list and put the things you want to buy on that list and then see the next month if you still want or need them, but I highly recommend it. You could do no spend days, but you know, if you really get a solid month under you, it, it will help you make better financial decisions. Definitely. I bet it would motivate you to do it this month too. <laughs> yeah. 
I needed the socks. <laughs> you know, I know, but sometimes like those are the items that you need. So I think it's, that goes hand in hand with the toiletry items, the food, because that was a need, especially we're yeah. in the deep winter here deep in Toronto. Place. So we, we need some warm socks right now. But yeah, so I love this question. Yes, I do recommend a no spend challenge. But I also would like to say that I recommend it in a more progressive way so that it will be easier for you to shop more intentionally over the long term rather than something that's like very cut and dry. So I actually suggest exactly what you do, do Lauren. That's so funny. So I suggest a 30-day buy nothing challenge. And that challenges you to avoid buying wants for a 30-day period. And it still allows you to buy your needs. So your food, your toilet, your items, just like you said. And it's helpful to have a needs and want list before you begin this to help you keep on track. So I actually have a whiteboard and I used to use that for needs and wants. But now I actually have an idea of what my needs are. So on my computer, I just bookmark uh, a list of wants. So anything I, every, anytime I think of something that I want, I just bookmark it rather than buy it. And then I go back and look at it. So now I know what my wants are. So that's really, really, really helpful. And something I should mention is that in 2020, I only bought two pieces of clothing. I think I mentioned that before, like a pair of shorts and a black blouse. So amazing. it was amazing. And I was like, wow. I mean, they're just like you. I've had to buy a few things that have gotten old, even technologies like my AirPods, they died. And so I had, I had to get a new pair. So things like that, which is frustrating, but you know, sometimes you have to buy things. And um, yeah, so, so this month, my, my personal goal actually. Uh, so going into March, actually, my personal goal is only buy essentials, food and toiletry items for the month of March. And I have also cut my spending on makeup and skincare products. So I'm trying to, because we say toiletry items, but we, or I tend to buy, I think more toiletry items than I need. And so I'm trying to cut back on that. And also with Sephora being closed here in Canada, it's been helpful, but I've learned that less is more in this area too. And we're actually going to talk about our skincare routines later on in this conversation, which I'm really excited about because I'm so excited. we've never actually touched on that before, which I'm actually shocked about it. But back to my first point, the whole idea of like doing this challenge in a more progressive way will be really helpful because it'll help you be able to sustain this in over the long term. It won't just be like, oh, just for this month. You know, it won't just be one crash course for you. Like it will be a lifestyle. So ask yourself, so this is an important question, ask yourself, what is something that I can do that is very easy, but I can do it for the rest of my life? So I'd like to remind myself that. So going into our next question, uh, that is how can we begin to shop more sustainably? So. My response to that is by first designing a minimalist wardrobe. This lifestyle inspires us to build a small, high-quality capsule wardrobe that consists of high-quality pieces that last a long time. So by lasting a long time, you're already living more sustainably because you're buying less. And when you do shop, you'll get into the habit of only buying an item when you need it. I've gotten into that habit and it feels so good. I go into stores now and I'm like, I don't need anything. <laughs> it feels so good. Plus you will learn to reject fast fashion items and you'll end up choosing more high quality pieces that will last a long time. Sometimes that requires you to spend a little bit more money up front, 
that being that being said, you're going to save money in the long run. You'll save time, you'll save money, and again, you'll be saving the environment because fast fashion items they end up in landfills. And so I become more conscious of this and we've been asked on our social media about what kind of brands that we wear and what kind of brands that we love and our favorite sustainable brands include Cotton, you can find Cotton at cotton.com, um, also Encircled, it's a Canadian company, Encircled.ca, Bootywear, which we've mentioned before, uh, Booty Ecowear, love them, love their socks, their tights, uh, their workout wear, it's so wonderful. I actually had to buy a new pair of socks from there the other day. Uh, and Everlane is also another one. But uh, how can we begin to shop more sustainably, Lauren? Well, the biggest thing which we've been talking about is shop less. So the biggest thing you can do if you want to be more sustainable is just buy less, buy less furniture, buy less clothes, buy less food. And like we said, buy higher quality and that in and of itself, it will last longer. It's more environmental. You can read up on brands before you buy them, do your research. Those are my biggest tips, but at the end of the day, the best way to shop sustainably is just to shop less. Yeah. Shop for needs, not wants. And next question, how do minimalist and eco-friendly practices go hand in hand? And what has worked best for you? So just as we mentioned, this lifestyle naturally helps us live more sustainably and adopt eco-friendly habits just by living the way we do. Be more intentional with our spending, our day-to-day, how we move around in the world. And for me, Lauren, I'm sure that you've seen, as the minimalist adopter, you've seen a lot of progression in in my life. I mean, I used to use, oh, awful, so awful. Three years ago, I used to use plastic bottles, awful. Uh, And three years ago, I switched to reusable bottle and it's changed my life. So I'm using a water bottle every day. I have Brita. Uh, I bring reusable bags to the grocery store, never take a grocery bag. I walk everywhere. (laughs) Uh, I, 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 I rarely take transit. I'm lucky I don't need to. I use compostable food waste bags in the kitchen. And a little side note tip that we've we've shared before is putting that in the freezer. Uh, It'll last a long time uh, and it won't be smelly, which is great. I use a backpack to get around everywhere. I I actually replaced multiple purses by purchasing this one backpack. Side note, this is not like they're not a sponsor or anything. It's Rains called R-A-I-N-S.com. It's amazing. I have this backpack and I take it everywhere and it's super helpful. I get my groceries, I throw my groceries in there. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I got rid of so many, just the side bags that we have and we end up getting so many of them and they clutter our spaces. And uh, I know again, buy less product. And I wear more sustainable, eco-friendly brands because I care about the environment. So, yeah. Yeah. Having a backpack is better for your back too. It evens out the weight. Yes. Having a one shoulder bag. I've had um, just when I've gotten massages in the past, they're like, wow, you always wear your bag on your right side. We can really tell by your muscles. So really really good for you to wear a backpack. It's not my style, but I know you love it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like we're saying just by default of being a minimalist, you're already being more eco-friendly. We've touched on everything from composting to recycling, separating yourself. Another great thing is when you separate your compost is that your garbage doesn't need to be emptied that much. Like you can literally go months. There's just a few things you might throw out because it doesn't smell. There's nothing in there. Uh, 
like we said, having a capsule wardrobe, I don't buy very many clothes. The ones that I do buy, I wear consistently. So I wear all the clothes that I own. Um, another thing I've wrote out is that I don't redecorate my place. So I, I've, I've looked around my condo and there's not one thing that's different from the day I moved in. Like I've furnished it when I moved in and I have not gotten one thing that's different except the coffee maker, I guess. It's funny that you say that, side note, because when we open this conversation, we're recording over Zoom because we're still in lockdown. Yeah. In I'm looking at Lauren's kitchen. I'm thinking, it looks the exact same as it did four years ago. <laughs> same. So that's why doing things like more neutral clothing, neutral decor, they're not going to get sick of or that's going to get out of style, like being more classic can really help you be eco-friendly if you're not constantly having to keep up with trends. I also, I don't buy knickknacks. I don't buy souvenirs, like all these little things that are not necessary and that you don't end up using or liking or needing. They just end up in the garbage. So you can be more intentional with that. And like Kelly was saying, I'm, I'm a lot more intentional with my money now. So like I take my lunch to work. I walk most places. If I need to, I use transit. Um, these aren't huge, but they do make really big environmental impacts when a substantial amount of people do them. So like I said, do your part. Yeah. Just do your part. And just by adopting this lifestyle, you will already be more eco-friendly, which is yeah. amazing. You reduce your footprint just by living this way. So our next question is, how do you simplify your cleaning products? I think we touched on this in a couple episodes back, but I ended up replacing all my chemical products with clean green products. I had over 15 different bottles before I adopted this lifestyle. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I learned. It was a learned behavior from what I grew up with. My mom had a bottle for everything. <laughs> My mom has 15 bottles and she never cleans. So. <laughs> <laughs> 15 bottles collecting dust. Awful. Yeah, I know. It's like the irony of it. And now I only have a green all-purpose cleaner, one, and a yeah. toilet cleaner, and then I have a broom and a duster. That's it. And so I've reduced it to that, which is really, really helpful. And I've learned through reading online research that soap and water can actually go a very long way. So that was really helpful. And I guess all, and then I guess I, yeah, I think that's it. I don't even have a toilet cleaner. I used multiple purpose cleaner in there too. There you go. So now you can reduce it to one bottle, everybody. I just have one bottle. I clean mirrors with it. I clean my kitchen, my bathroom, my shower. I dust with it. Everything gets clean with a multi-purpose cleaner. I do have two cloths and a mop that I just put in the washing machine. And then once it's dry, I put it back in the closet. Uh, you can, sorry, my cleaner's natural as well too. It's plant-based. Mm-hmm. And you can make your own cleaner really easily too. I think it's just vinegar, essential oil, and water. So if you wanted to get that extreme, you could do that as well. Ooh, um, I love that idea. But yeah, you just need one. Don't fall for that you need a glass cleaner and a wood cleaner and a bathroom cleaner. You need one cleaner. So get rid of the Windex. Get rid of the Windex. You well, don't use it. it first, but don't rebuy it once it's finished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, I've always hated the chemical smell in the air when Windex gets sprayed. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, get it away from me. <laughs> so, our next question is to do with the minimalist home. I was in, so the question is 
I was in a minimalist home that felt cold. How do you create a warm and cozy, simple home? Great question. I like this question because I want to remind everyone that a minimalist home comes in all forms. Again, there is no rule book. It's about creating a space that you love and that you use and that brings calm and focus to your life. So that's the key. It needs to bring, it needs to be simple in the way that it brings calm and focus to your life so that you can focus on things that matter most to you. So if you, if you want colored walls and art and picture frames, you can have that stuff if they add value to you. You can also have a variety of furniture, but just as long as you use each piece, you know, and you know, if you think about our places, Lauren, if you think, look at my space and you look at your space, yes, both of our spaces are very uh, minimalist, but they're very minimalist in the sense that they're intentional, but the style is very different. I would say that mine's quite warm and cozy. I would say that yours is too when you put all the nice lighting up. But I think if you walked into your space in the afternoon, people are like, wow, it's so like, it's calm and it's fresh and it's like art gallery-esque. And I actually love that about your space because your space is more my style than mine is. Um, but everybody can have design a space that is meaningful to them. A minimal space just means an intentional space and a simple space that you use and you love. So... I actually like the cold look. I know that's weird, but I I like things a little bit empty and plain. I've just always been that way, especially in the summer. Like, I feel like it's just nice having this like super simple, super clean line condo. Super fresh. Yeah. It's fresh. Um, That's a perfect way to describe it. But with that being said, we do have a really long, cold winter. And the way that I warm up my place is I'll light a candle, I'll put the fireplace channel on the television, I'll have a throw blanket, like very simple things that I have anyways, and then you don't have to really buy stuff for, can really warm up a room. Putting the fireplace channel on, just the visual and the um, hearing the crackling of the fire can warm up a minimalist room very easily without having to buy anything. And And the lighting in your space. Yeah, lighting. You can even buy softer lights once your light bulbs run out. But there's a few ways to, I I think we kind of have this misconception that clutter makes things warm. It's like, oh, there's a lot of stuff around me. So the room is warmer. But there's a number of like ways to warm up a room if it doesn't have that much stuff in it. Yeah, that is so, so true. And if anybody, if any of you haven't seen the Minimalist's latest documentary, Less Is Now, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, they actually share tours of their spaces. And they just, it just goes to show that every space looks different. And um, yeah, it can be very warm and cozy. And yeah, I love that, Lauren. You're right. People think that a cluttered space means cozy, but that's not, that's yeah. not right. That's not right. So our next question is a little bit longer. It's, Thoughts on buying designer or high quality furniture and lighting for your home that will last years, if not a lifetime, versus cheaper quality furniture that you will likely have to replace after a few years. I suppose high quality also keeps waste down. This is a question. I say yes, it's intentional and sustainable. Also, if you decide to move, you can sell these items. But I would also say that make sure that you need it. You know, maybe you can refurbish items that you already own. Plus, you can also find high quality secondhand pieces as well. So those are things to think about. And, and you know, for me, for example, you know, I'm in my 
I'm in, I'm in this space that I'm in and I, I do love my home. It's not my dream home, obviously, but you know, I've started to invest in nicer pieces so that when I do get that next home, I have pieces that are going to last a long time, which is great. But I also have things that aren't favorable. Like I, there are things in here that I'm like, oh, I would like a nicer version of this because this isn't going to last very long. But I know at this time in my life, it's not the time to invest in those pieces. So it's also something to think about. So uh, same as you, I'm at the point in my life where I would just not spend a substantial amount of money on furniture. I live in a condo. Like I eventually going to move to a house and start a family. So maybe that's when I would invest in higher quality pieces. Um, I did not spend that much money to furnish my place. I think it was maybe two or $3,000 to do the entire place. I think maybe around 2,500, but I take really good care of my furniture. Like I don't, and it's just me living here. So it has been almost five years and everything's still in really good condition. So you could buy used, or if you did, you couldn't afford something higher quality. I think as long as you take good care of it, it might last you a long time. I have been lucky with my furniture, Mm -hmm. but like I said, it's just not a priority for me right now. If I had extra money, I would want to save it or invest it. I wouldn't just want to have a super expensive couch. (laughs) I think that's great advice. I think it, 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 you know, for whoever asked this question, great question. And I think that yeah, you can see it from both angles. You just have to ask yourself those important questions to really get your answer. So the next question is, do you have dinner parties or guests over? And this this individual said, I have a lot of extra plates. So for me, yes, not since before COVID, however, um, but only with a few people because I live in a very small space. So I store my extra plates, uh, serving platters and cutlery in my closet in a small little box. So yeah, that's what I do. And you know, my parents, for example, some people like to have lots so that they can load the dishwasher for a week and then wash them. But I prefer to wash by hand. I mean, it's easier since I live alone, obviously, and I should note that always. And and I don't like to have extra things in my view when I'm not using them. You know, it it, it helps by by storing these items, you'll get a clutter-free cupboard. And if you open Lauren's cupboards, you'll understand what I mean by this. Like it's so beautiful and it's just like so intentional. And when I go home, it's like there's plates falling on me. I'm like, we don't need all these plates. You it's just my mom and my dad, and they have like they have like I don't know, maybe like eight sets of everything. And it's just oh, like my parents have hundreds of plates and mugs and then they have the china and the serving platters and it's usually for one holiday once a year but Um, it's all sitting out in their cupboards right yeah it is (laughs) so I have a set of four of everything that's usually when you buy plates or mugs or water glasses they usually come in a set of four so if I have a dinner party I will not invite more than three people you could just have them more often if you want to see more people or you could do kind of like a potluck style style where people brought stuff. Um, but you have to kind of sit down and do the math. Like if you're going to do it two or three times a year, is it worth it to you to have all of this extra stuff? Maybe just have smaller get togethers more often or like go out for dinner. I think a lot of times we, we want to have all this extra stuff. Like I have serving platters and I, I honestly use them once a year. So I keep them above my fridge. You can't really see them. Like they're out of sight, out of mind. But like I said, assess how many times you're going to do it a year and if it's really worth it to you or have smaller ones. 
I was wondering where that cake plate was hiding. <laughs> yeah, it's above my fridge. You can't see it. But I don't want to see it. I'm, if I need to bring it out, I've probably used it three or four times. It comes out during your birthday. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So the next question is, do you have a medicine cabinet just in case, you know, for those just in case times where we do need cough medicine or Advil? So I actually just have a little box in my kitchen cupboard that includes a few items like Advil. I actually looked and checked what I had in there. So it's a little box that has the tiniest little box has Advil, nasal medicine and band-aids. But for those who aren't living alone and maybe have families, I know that my mom has a larger cabinet. We always had the medicine cabinet growing up. I think it's very relatable. But she recently decluttered it down to a small basket that she pulls out of the cupboard. And I thought it was really nice. So she's been decluttering like crazy over the past year. And it's beautiful what she's done. And yeah, so it makes it really easy. And she got rid of so many expired. Like over time, everything can expire. So that's something to check. Just check the expiry dates of all your medications. So that's important. Yeah. And don't overbuy medications like Advil and stuff because they do expire and it's just a waste of money. Yeah. Um, I'm like Kelly. I just have a little bag. I actually keep it in the miscellaneous box. Uh, we talked about this in the declutter your space class. And I, like same as Kelly, I have gravel, Advil, Band-Aids, Polysporin, just little things in there. But I do not have a medicine cabinet. I, I just have a little bag in a closet where I keep extra things in case I need them. Yeah. And, and something I should know is I'm, I try to focus on more of like a homeopathic and natural remedies, um, mainly because we'll talk about our skin uh, regimens later on, but to regulate my gut health. And so I, I take probiotics every day. And so, yeah, things like that. I, I try not to take Advil, like when I have a headache, I'll try to just drink water and have water and lemon and all these things. But sometimes you just have to take an Advil. <laughs> for me anyway. So it's good to have those emergency things. Actually, I have a really good story. So when Lauren and I started this podcast, we started it, we recorded it on our trip in Italy, which is so crazy that that was almost three years ago now, Lauren. Like I can't, I can't, like it doesn't feel that long. And Lauren and I went to Italy and it was cute, but awful at the same time. Uh, I hadn't slept on the plane. I had a huge headache. I couldn't fall asleep that night. and. I didn't bring Advil. Like, you're going to Italy. I didn't even bring Advil. So dumb of me. Anyways, didn't bring Advil. Ended up falling asleep thanks to Lauren giving me a cold towel to put on my forehead. And so that was really, that was like a, a really nice technique, just in case you don't have an emergency med medicine cabinet. So, uh, but yeah, for future, it's good to prepare for vacations like that with a few things. There's so many things you can do, like make sure you stay hydrated, like you can take a nap if you're able to, or just put a cold cloth on your head. Like these things are so natural and they're so much better for your liver <laughs> instead of processing all of this medication. But pick natural first. If it doesn't work, then th this medicine should be your backup. And yet maybe don't keep too much of it around just the essentials. Yeah, exactly. So next question is, how do you and this is more for you, Lauren, I think, how do, as the big reader, how do you keep reading when your brain is tired, but you really want to persevere? Any tips? Um, I actually was wondering whether they meant for work or for pleasure. I guess I'm assuming pleasure, like just to get information out of books. 
Um, if I'm reading and I'm really tired, sometimes I'll make notes and then I'll go back and read the notes when I'm more awake and I can retain the information more. If you're reading on an iPad or a laptop, you can also highlight information that might be relevant or that you want to remember, come back and read. But if you're super tired, maybe it's not the best time to be reading it. Like I usually read in the morning. So I'm having my coffee. Sometimes I'll read in the evenings, but I'm just not a functioning human being at night I'm so tired so I usually just watch YouTube videos or Netflix and fall asleep I'm definitely a morning reader but if you want to read and you're tired just take notes and then read them when you're more well rested what do you mean by take notes like if you read something just write down I I would highlight it because I read digital books but if you're reading a book you could even underline parts that you want to remember that seem important Oh, because you're getting tired and you're thinking you're forgetting things you're reading. Yeah, like you're not really retaining it. So if you're reading something that kind of seems important, just make a note in a notebook or underline or highlight it. I actually thought you were going to suggest your nappuccino idea. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you can have a cup of coffee and take a 20-minute nap if you want to get woken up. But I don't recommend doing that if it's before bed. Yeah, if it's not before bed, Lauren has this amazing concept called the nappuccino. So you have your cup of coffee and then you take a nap and then apparently it takes 20 minutes or so to feel the effects of the caffeine. So when you wake up, you'll be so ready to read again. (laughs) It's not mine. It's from a book called When that I got the nappuccino idea from, but I've definitely implemented it and it does work. So have a cup of coffee, take a 20 minute nap and wake up and you will feel very refreshed. Love it. Uh, So for me, it often happens when I'm writing. I'll get tired when I'm writing. And I always push myself, but I'm learning not to anymore. Sometimes you shouldn't push yourself. But if you need to, and it's an assignment and it needs to get done or something like that, and there's a deadline you're trying to meet, what I do is I usually take 15 to 20 minutes to stretch, to just walk around the house, do other things, just break free of the work and then go back into it. Taking those little breaks are really, really helpful. Uh, I follow this girl on YouTube. She's amazing. Her name's Mad Fit, M-A-D-F-I-T. She has like 10-minute, 15-minute stretching exercises. So I'll just be like, okay, well, I'll just do a 15-minute stretch because that's easy. Sometimes I don't feel like doing a 10-minute HIIT workout. I'm like, okay, I'll just do a 15-minute stretch. And it's so nice and so relaxing. And for some reason, it always gives me a jolt of energy. So. So this is really good. So the next question is, what is your minimalist skincare routine? So Lauren, I'd love to hear what yours is. I know you don't use many products. I do not use very many products. So I use three things, a cleanser, a moisturizer, and a washcloth. So a washcloth is my biggest secret. I used to do eye creams and makeup remover and i I realized that if you just take water and put it on your face, most of your mascara will come off with just water. And then you can take a cleanser and cleanse your face and use a washcloth. I take a washcloth with warm water and I probably do it three or four times on my face until all my makeup's gone. And then I use a moisturizer. I do wear sunscreen and wear makeup, but I I just use a few products And I do my makeup the exact same every single day so that I'm not using all these different eyeshadows and lipsticks. And I guess this is just skincare, but in terms of makeup, 
I, I don't use very many products as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know you don't you don't wear much makeup, which is really, really nice. Like it's very easy in the morning, right? And you know, I, I hope that eventually we can all get there where we don't feel like we need to put on caked makeup every single day, right? So, and it's something that I've, especially during quarantine, I'm like, okay, well, if there's days where I'm like, I know that I'm not going to be connecting with anybody, I'm just not going to wear makeup. And it feels really refreshing. So I love this question. I think we could devote an entire episode to products. So like you, I cleanse and moisturize every morning and night. And in the evenings, I add a serum in between. So I'll cleanse and then I'll add a serum and then I'll moisturize. I do use a makeup remover though, because I find it very hard to get my my mascara off. <laughs> so you I do use waterproof an- mascara. Pardon? You use waterproof mascara? I don't. I just oh. use the, I, I don't, but I, I like to just get it all off because I, I know mm. it doesn't really get it all off and I just want to make sure it is. But so I use a natural oil uh, makeup remover, which is really nice. And for the past couple of years, thanks to your advice, Lauren, I I stopped buying all these different moisturizers, the next new product at Sephora to buying um, an organic, vegan, cruelty-free brand called Sukin Naturals. And again, this is not a sponsor, but I love their brand. It's sukinnaturals.ca, and we will add it to the show notes for anybody who's interested. So I have, I've, so my entire life up until I was 25, I had clear skin. I was very lucky, very blessed. Then when I hit 25, I started getting breakouts. And I would say, and I'm, I'm 33 today, And I have very acne prone skin and I've had it for the past, I guess, almost eight years. And I've learned that, and I've learned over the past couple years that less really is more, especially when it comes to putting product on your face. The more you touch your face, the more issues you're going to have. My dermatologist always tells me. And something I learned is that water is a natural cleanser. If you just throw water, as you said, Lauren, as you throw in water in your face, it is a natural cleanser. So you don't need so many products. And again, like we're in our early thirties now and you know, you're being told that you need to use all these eye creams and these extra thicker creams and all these other products. And it's just like, well, what if I didn't use that? You know, a lot of men, they just throw water on their face every day. Like they don't have a routine, you know, and I, I do see the value in cleansing and moisturizing, but I think there's a lot of extra products that we don't really, really need, right? And so again, I pull out my little basket from under my sink every morning. It has four, four or five products in it, a couple oils, and I use all those items and it feels really good. And I, I take care of those items. And, and Sukin Naturals, by the way, is very inexpensive. It's so inexpensive. I think it's like $10 for the cleanser and $10 for the moisturizer around there. And Kelly and I both use it. So that works well for asking what our skincare routine is. The reason why I got it originally, I think I was like 22 or 23. And I was reading up on Candace Swanpush, one of the Victoria's Secret models. And they asked her a skincare regime. And she was like, oh, I just use a natural cleanser from Whole Foods. That's it. I don't know if it was this brand. I don't think it was. But um I was like, wow, like even celebrities sometimes just want like a simple cleanser and moisturizer that's like maybe more natural. They don't want all this fuss. And at the end of the day, if you're sleeping properly, you're eating properly, you're drinking your water, like these are things that are going to give you nice skin. There's not creams out there that can like replicate a, a healthy lifestyle. So 
You're so right. I really, really believe that it's about focusing on the inside out these days, eating healthy foods, drinking more water. Like that is what is going to help your skin. And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's hard because you want to grab that chocolate bar and whatever, and I still do, but yeah, just be more mindful of it. So our next question is how can we keep cultivating this? Okay. First of all, this question is a big question. How can we keep cultivating a meaningful life if or when we feel off course? This is a beautiful question because it's very real and it's very relatable. And I want to say that feeling off course is a part of life. You know, there's there's really no straight line. Life comes with trial and error. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this in our episode about minimalism and vulnerability. And maybe we should do another episode on that because I, 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 I want to talk more about that. So for me, some days, especially during quarantine, like I feel so on track. Like sometimes I like feel so on track. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Other days I can be so hard on myself, but I also know that the hard times, the times when I feel lost are just kind of a part of life. And it's okay because I know that every time I've had challenges, I've learned something in the process. So feeling off course will allow you to figure out what you really want in life. So sometimes it's nice to be off course because off course, it doesn't really mean you're off course. It means that you are in the exploratory stages. You're exploring the things that you want. You're exploring, you're you're thinking about the things that are most important to you from your ambitions to where you want to spend your time and and who you want to spend your time with. And, And when I heard this, when I read this question, I thought, oh, I, I need to mention my favorite book. My favorite book is Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's all about having a growth mindset and how having a growth mindset can really help you succeed in life and, and get you, give you the things that you want out of life. Just by, by knowing that you can take control of and, and have the things you want by you know, centering your mind and, and, and thinking positive and, and, and being okay with the challenging times and still getting up. Like that, that is what will help you cultivate a meaningful life over the long term. So, um, I think like Kelly said, we all have these days where we feel off and like even days where I feel on and I like make myself a nice dinner and like light a candle. And I like got a lot of work done that day. I sometimes even at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, that was really productive day. And I was like on top of my life and I'm like, yeah, but it was not going to be like that every day. And there just are times I wake up, I'm exhausted. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to see anyone. I'm in a bad mood. So what I do in these times is that I always try to have a minimum of what I'm going to do that day. And this is where a routine will come in. So I always wake up and have my cup of coffee and read no matter where I am. I always try to get in an hour of exercise. It's really hard to get yourself to exercise when you feel like this, but you will feel so much better after, even if it's just going for a walk. I still try to like get dressed, put makeup on, make my bed. And I always try to do a little bit of creative work because that just brings a lot of meaning to my life. And it like kind of keeps me on track with like what's important and makes me feel less off course. But like Kelly said, those times sometimes can be essential because it makes you take a step back and question things. I kind of looked at that question of more, how can you 
like keep yourself on course when you you feel off course. So I I just I guess my biggest answer would be to stick to your routine and have a routine and have your minimum. Make your bed, do an hour of exercise or some exercise, do a bit of work, just do something that's going to make yourself feel better. Yes. So what you're saying is really have some non-negotiables in place. Have some things that are meaningful to you that you know already that are a part of cultivating a meaningful life that you can do every single day. Like for example, with with me, like I know that if I don't get my exercise in, I'm going to get down on myself, like hard on myself mentally. So I make sure that I do that 20 minute hit workout in the morning. And I make sure that I go for that walk in the afternoon because I know that that space is super helpful for me with everything else. And so if I'm ever feeling off course or off one day, that is going to boost my mood and help me get through those those times right where you know I'm I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling down or or whatever I'm feeling that feels off course. So and also like you know have those time blocks, set those time blocks, but also set time blocks for allowing yourself to get off course. It's those are those are some amazing moments, you know, sometimes but it, sometimes they're not amazing too. Like sometimes they're challenging moments, but if if they're not really challenging but you're like, "Oh, I feel like I'm going the wrong way." maybe identify that if if you should continue going in that way or maybe you should stop or if you can ask yourself like maybe I'm finding something beautiful in this experience right now so yeah I think it's important to ask yourself important questions in in this scenario so So true so the next question is what do you think is the most common mistake people make when pursuing a minimalist lifestyle Okay, I think the biggest mistake they make, and you can see this just on Netflix alone, is that they organize their stuff instead of figuring out what they actually need. I think that people get rid of a bunch of stuff or they declutter, which is so popular now, but it doesn't stop them from overbuying stuff. And the last thing is, I think that people master the physical and not the mental. So they kind of get their space nice and they maybe they're not buying as much anymore and they don't own as much anymore, but they're, they're not at peace. They're still walking around like stressed out and they, their calendars are jam-packed. And so they're not really encompassing minimalism as a whole in all areas of their life. They just think that now they have an empty living room and that they've mastered minimalism. So those are my three biggest ones. Oh, three really great points. On your second point, you're right. You know, we need to focus on the root of the problem. People are decluttering, as you say. They're decluttering things, but they're doing it in one-stop shop. They're doing it once, and then they're bringing everything back in again. So they need to ask themselves the important questions. Do I need this? Will I use this before bringing it into their home? And remind me of your third one is that they just do the physical, not the... Yeah. So on that point, yeah. Minimalism is more than stuff or physical stuff. It's, It's the, gosh, the clutter that we have in our minds, like mental clutter, emotional clutter, you know, the clutter that we have on our desktop and our iPhone, you know, the digital clutter as well. So there's so many more areas. My response to this question is that I think a lot of people, when they start to adopt this lifestyle. They think that they need to follow a rule book. So they need to own a certain number of physical items and their place needs to look a certain way. And that's not the case, as we said earlier. And, you know, they think they need to deprive themselves of the things that they love. And that's not true. Like you can keep things that you love that bring you joy. 
as Marie Kondo would say, you know, this lifestyle is a framework that will help you design your version of a simpler and more intentional life. Like everybody's looks different. And I wish we could showcase that in some, some way, Lauren, maybe, maybe we could do a class on master simplicity, uh, about, or that showcases all the different types of minimalist homes out there. Like everybody's place looks so different. It's what brings you joy. So again, your minimalist lifestyle will be unique to you. It's about creating what a simple and intentional lifestyle looks like for you. So the last question for today is, how do you get your spouse on board when it comes to minimalist living? So I responded saying, lead by example. This one is a tricky one, I know, but leading by example goes a long way. Like think about it. Like when we started this podcast, my parents were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We have too much stuff. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Now they've watched both the minimalist documentaries. They love our podcast and they are decluttering. They've decluttered and organized their space so well. Like they've probably two thirds of their home is already finished. Like they, I'm so proud of them. And it, it was never me being like, you need to do this. It was just them watching what I was doing and seeing like, wow, like maybe this would make us happier. And I, one of the things is I was communicating that I was saving time and money. And for my parents, they're like, wow, you're saving money. Okay. That's huge. Oh, and you're saving time. Okay. That's huge too. Uh, so they saw that it was benefiting my lifestyle. And, but that being said, sometimes it can be really hard. So I'm just thinking of this individual who asks us this question. So I'm like, I'm putting myself in his or her shoes. Like my spouse was a hoarder. My suggestion is decide on an area because unfortunately, like sometimes you need to compromise in relationships. If he or she is a hoarder, decide on the area within your home that he or she can have their things spread out. Sometimes like you need to give a designated space for someone to have those items, especially if they're sentimental items and even knickknacks that bring them joy. You know, sometimes that's okay. Some, and, and that's a solution for that if someone's really, really stuck in their ways. Uh, I also suggest a decluttering party. So in a previous relationship of mine, uh, we turned up the music and we decluttered his closet and it was so much fun. And we ended up creating three piles, you know, donate, sell and recycle. And it was just, you know, this is someone who was like, oh, you know, like, okay, let's do it. Like he's very open to it, which was nice, but it's not like he would have done it on his own. So sometimes like you have to be like, okay, why don't we do this together? So yeah, that's my advice. I'm curious what yours is, Lauren. Just wait until they go to work and throw out all their stuff. <laughs> you know what? I My dad is so simple. He's never owned that much stuff. And then my mom just loves to, she loves stuff. So she kind of won in that situation. I couldn't live in a house that had clutter in it, at least the main rooms, like the bedroom, the kitchen, living room. Um, I need a clear and clean space just to be at peace and to have a clear peaceful mind um but with that being said if they did want more stuff or a place where they could be messy in or just keep items like you said then they could have their own room or the basement or, or somewhere to store them I guess we would just have to agree on certain rooms uh it can be hard though because if you've lived in a house for 25 years and you have a lot of stuff even cleaning out one room could uh make it like it, it's a lot of work and it's it's a hard conversation to have with someone Kelly and I both grew up in homes where we had a lot of stuff around us. And I always just kept my room nice and 
you know, that was my sanctuary, like my place I would go to do my homework and to read. And I just always kept that clutter free. So you could even just make one room for yourself, which can make a huge difference. And then use all of the other lifestyle practices that minimalism comes with. So, you know, you can still create your capsule wardrobe. You can still buy less stuff, buy a higher quality stuff, you know, clear out your calendar, give more time to yourself. Like there's so many different areas of minimalism that even if your family isn't on board and like Kelly said, lead by example, they, you know, everyone wants to save money and it makes sense that we would want to just own the stuff that we use instead of buying all the stuff we don't. So I guess my biggest advice, like I said, start with one room if you're able to, if you can have the main rooms, simple, minimalistic, it will make a huge difference to your life. Um, and cause communication is key. Some people have a lot of sentimental attachment to their stuff. I know my mom does. She likes her stuff. So to go in there and try to minimize the house would make her, she wouldn't like that. So you kind of have to find what works for you as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. I also love your idea of keeping that one space, your kind of sanctuary. It's so funny. I I'm excited for the day that you get to see come to my parents' home one day, but it's true. Like growing up, like I would go and study in my bedroom. My, my parents would be like, Oh, do you want a TV? Like your sister and brother in your bedroom? Like, no, (laughs) I don't want a distraction in my room. I don't want anything in my room, but my desk and my, and my bed. Uh, so it was very minimal. And that's actually like, I'm the kind of person I actually get anxious around a lot of stuff. And so when I'm in that room, you too. Right. And like when I'm in that room, it's like, Oh, I can get away from all. It's kind of like a nice escape. I it's hard though because like in the future when we live with guys like they're gonna have to be on board with this yeah Um, they are Lauren (laughs) I mean we will we'll be we'll compromise but yeah uh, we will will. so this was really good I I really enjoyed this conversation and I want to thank everyone who submitted their questions we're gonna have to do this again very soon we loved hearing from you and and your questions really help us get an idea of the areas of minimalism that you're thinking about, which will ultimately help us plan upcoming episodes around content that interests you most. So thanks again, everyone. And uh, we will speak with you guys soon. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon, guys. Thanks so much for all the great questions. Yeah. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Hi, all. We just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening and thanks again to those of you who submitted questions for this episode. After we finished recording, Lauren and I talked about how much we love doing this q and I mean, we enjoyed it so, so much. It was actually one of our favorites to date. And if you are loving the Q&As just as much as we are, please send us a message on Facebook or Instagram at Millennial Minimalists, or you can screenshot this episode and share it in a story. We would also love it if you could subscribe and kindly take a moment to write us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you are loving what we do, please leave us a line as your words help our podcast grow and really keep us motivated. We are so grateful for all of you who have already left us a review so far. Your words encourage us to continue on this journey with you and help us bring on more exciting guests. And lastly, if you would like to connect with us directly, you can reach us via email at millennialminimalist at gmail.com. Thanks again, everyone, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.